the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Welcome to that show. Hasn't been funny in years. An SNL podcast. I'm your host, Nick DiGilio. I'm a podcaster, comedy writer, and performer, graduate of the Second City, a second Saturday Night Live expert and a historian. And each week, we're going to look back at everything SNL the best, the worst, the good, the bad, the classic, the forgotten. We'll talk about full seasons and full casts, behind the scenes stories, episode sketches, SNL's historical significance, and much, much more. Sometimes I'll have guests, sometimes I won't. But with every episode, I will prove to you that that tired cliche that you hear all the time, that show hasn't been funny in years, is absolutely not true. So, regrets, I've had a few. Yes, I did it my way. That's the great Frank Sinatra. And uh, that little piece of lyric and that little piece of uh, music right there uh, is the episode's title. Regrets, I've had a few. This episode 48 of that show has been funny in years, an SNL podcast, um, and uh, it's about SNL bits that the performers now regret for whatever reason, for whatever, uh, for, for, for whatever history lessons. Five SNL sketches slash bits that the performers and the writers and the creators of these bits now regret. Now, we live in a time where um, things, uh, many, many things in the comedy world and in the world in general are no longer accepted as easily as they used to be. Uh, Some people call it being overly woke. Some people call it being politically correct. Whatever it is, a lot of the kind of uh, borderline tasteless, some signs xenophobic, sometimes racist humor that was much more acceptable 40, 50 years ago, sometimes as little as five years ago, just isn't acceptable anymore In many cases, some people would argue that we're a little too politically correct, that we're a little too, quote unquote, woke, whatever that really means. And I'm one of those people. I am one of those people who thinks that if there are television shows or movies or, uh, you know, pieces of comedy or stand up bits that were, you know, risque at the time, that they should be allowed to be played. Now, if you want to go back to the Three Stooges, uh, the episodes of the Three Stooges or the shorts of the Three Stooges that were filmed during World War II that were incredibly anti-Japanese and racist and really offensive, or the portrayals of um, the uh, African-American characters in the Step and Fetch It days, um, and, and, and of course the portrayals of Germans, all of that stuff, the Three Stooges days... They should be shown, but if you want, show them with a warning. Show them as a piece of education. Show them saying, yes, there are unbelievably offensive moments in this, 
with caricatures of Japanese, like during the World War II um, uh, uh, shorts that they did. Um, you, you can show these shorts, and they should be shown. People should see them. We should have access to these pieces that are now considered offensive for whatever reason, but with an explanation that they are a, you know, a piece of history. There was an actual time when these things were accepted. There was an actual time when this was the, the way that people were thinking, their beliefs, what was happening in the world politically, what was happening during wars, what was happening in the world of religion, what was happening in the world of culture at the time is completely different than it is now, and that's okay. These things might be offensive, and I've watched a lot of stuff from the past in television and in movies where you kind of wince now, you watch it, and you go, ooh, that's a little rough, that's a little hard to take. But take into account when it was done, when it was created, what was happening, happening politically and culturally and in the world. Were we, happening, were we having a war? Were there common enemies? Were uh, some terms accepted that are no longer accepted? Were some thoughts accepted that are no longer accepted? And with a grain of salt, listen to those bits or watch those bits or watch those TV shows or those old shorts, those old Three Stooges shorts or those old movies and know that now, yeah, some of this stuff is really uncomfortable to watch. Some of it is a little bit wince-worthy, but it's all legit. It represents a time in the world when these things were thought. You don't have to think them now, but you should not censor any of this stuff. That's my thoughts. No censorship, no stopping of showing or listening to these things. People should have access to every single piece of art that was created in every single part of the history of the world and know your history, know why these things were said, know why these terms were used, know why these positions were had by the writers and the creators and the performers of these, you know, controversial and sometimes really, really offensive and wincing pieces of material. But... Don't ban it. You should watch it. You should listen to it. That's all there is to it. And everybody should have access to any piece of comedy that today is considered unacceptable or, or, or should be banned. Nobody should be able to make those kind of decisions. Now, are there certain things that you watch now and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe that that exists? Yes. Should you find it offensive sometimes? Absolutely. Should you personally take offense to it? Of course you should. But you should have access to it and everybody should make up their own mind. Nobody should tell anybody what to watch, what to listen to, or what to even write. And that's all there is to it. So these five sketches and bits from SNL, you can look back at and say, oh, man, that's a little bit too much. It's a little bit worthy. Now, there's been a lot of stuff on SNL over the years that you watch now and you go, man, I can't believe they got away with that. I cannot believe they said this and they said that or these terms were used. You can go back in, in other television, in the, in, 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 the, in the television shows of the 70s, the Norman Lear shows where the N-word was dropped on semi-regular basis. Uh, if you go back and watch, I don't know, any number, dozens and dozens and dozens of episodes of All in the Family, there's stuff in there that was challenging in the 70s. And today, oh my God, I can't believe they said that. Oh my God, did you hear what Archie Bunker said? But that's the point. And yes, you hear certain things and certain phrases that you shouldn't hear anymore. And we've become, you know, we, we've become much more sensitive than we should be, but we are also uh, correcting things that should be corrected, like the R word. Uh, for for uh, the mentally challenged is a word that has always been uh, insulting and uncomfortable, and we shouldn't use that word, and so we don't anymore. And there are other words and phrases that we shouldn't use, but they were used at one time, and they should not. That when they were used for specific pieces of art, we should still be able to listen to it and then discern for ourselves 
what sh- we should listen to and what we don't want to listen to. So there might be some offensive stuff uh, that I'm going to play here. I don't think it's all that offensive, but all of it is worthy of talking about. And all of it is worthy and interesting because the people who created it, the people who performed it now regret it. There are some that I don't think they should regret, and there are almost all of them, I think, that should be seen or heard. So that's what it's about. It's about regrets. I've had a few, and these are five SNL bits slash sketches that the performers now regret. And let's begin, shall we, with Dana Carvey. Um, I do want to mention one thing very quickly. One of the big ones is Jimmy Fallon. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, if you don't remember this, I'm not going to play the bit, but Jimmy Fallon actually played his friend Chris Rock on SNL in blackface because Jimmy Fallon can do a really solid vocal impersonation of Chris Rock. He can do a really good impression of Chris Rock. Uh, But he did it in blackface, which uh, is, you know, is uh, in in some cases completely indefensible and at best like, no, that's a bad idea. Jimmy Fallon uh, would realize that maybe impersonating his pal in blackface wasn't the best comedy idea. And we'd like to think that he came to this conclusion on his own, but it really was only in, ni- in 2020 when a clip resurfaced with a hashtag, uh, hashtag Jimmy Fallon is over, that Jimmy Fallon offered his most heartfelt Twitter response. So in response in 2020, when that clip of him impersonating Chris Rock and Blackface came out, he said, in 2000, while on SNL, I made a terrible decision to, Im- in- to do an impersonation of Chris Rock while in blackface. There is no excuse for this. I am very sorry for making this unquestionably offensive decision, and thank you all for holding me accountable. That was posted on Twitter in Jimmy Fallon's account on May 26, 2020, and this would be 20 years after he did that, and it resurfaced. So that's a big regret. Jimmy Fallon in blackface doing Chris Rock. Yes, and it was in 2000. It wasn't in 1960. It wasn't in 1940. It was in the year 2000 that Jimmy Fallon did a blackface impersonation on SNL. Kind of amazing that it was in 20, that it was actually in the year 2000. But it took him 20 years to apologize for it. But that's the very first one. That's a huge one, okay? (laughs) Blackface has always been offensive, even when it was kind of acceptable in the world of, uh, of entertainment and in vaudeville. It was always offensive. Uh, and always, you know, the historical basis for blackface has always been one of oppression. And, uh, and it just shouldn't have been done, especially in the year 2000, especially with someone as white as Jimmy Fallon, even though Chris Rock and Jimmy Fallon are friends. So his impression is great. The idea of doing that impression in blackface, not so great. He regrets it. Here are more regrets. Dana Carvey's Johnny Carson. Now, Dana Carvey regrets his Johnny Carson impression. I think his Dana, Car- Dana Carvey's Johnny Carson impression is hilarious. I really do. Um, but he had a very singular take on, on his, on his uh, impression of Johnny Carson, which was very, very, you know, very true of many of Dana Carvey's impressions. They weren't necessarily spot on. He would kind of make them his own. He would take the ticks or the twerks or the talking patterns of people and then kind of push them into a different direction. Like his George Bush was not necessarily a great impression of George Bush, but it became a great impression character. The same way that, um, that, uh, that Will Ferrell did George W. Bush. You know, it wasn't really a great impression of George Bush, but it was a great character kind of like George Bush. But his Johnny Carson, I thought, was great. Um, and it wasn't a mimic, mimicking version like, you know, the Rich Little version or, you know, the Fred Travelina version or the known impressionists out there. 
Um, but he was aping what Carson said uh, to, uh, to, to, to Carvey whenever he appeared on the show, where Carson would say stuff like, that's funny stuff. You're a young, funny man. Will you come back and see us sometime? I think Johnny said that to me every single time I was on the show, every single time. And it was this pattern of speech that he and Robert Smigel, the great writer Robert Smigel, picked up on, and the two developed a hybrid of uh, Johnny Carson. You know, they took all of that, that quirky stuff, the comments that he always made. Danny Carvey would do that impression. And then they did one specific sketch where at the time, in the late 80s and in the early, early, early 90s, Arsenio Hall had a talk show. You probably remember this. And there were times when Arsenio Hall was beating Carson handily in the ratings because younger people and people of color were watching Arsenio Hall's show. Um, you know, Johnny at that time, he'd been on the air for many, 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 many years, and he wasn't considered hip. He was considered older, and his audience was smaller and skewing very old, whereas Arsenio Hall at the time was a real threat to the ratings and to the crown of Johnny Carson as King of Late Night. His show was syndicated, it was on in different markets, and he skewed much, much younger, much, much hipper, and much, much more in terms of people of color and other race. So Robert Smigel and Dana Carvey said that they wanted to do that and talk about the unhipness of Johnny Carson while Arsenio was happening. So they created this thing called Carsenio, and it was a hybrid of Johnny Carson and Arsenio Hall, and it was called Carsenio. And um, now Dana Carvey looks back at it, and he thinks it's unfair. He loves Johnny Carson. He loved the fact that Johnny Carson was a legend. And he thought he took his impersonation of Johnny Carson and made too much fun of him, particularly the Carsenio bit, where he came out with a high-top fade, where Ed McMahon also had a fade. Uh, they had the, the, the dog pound in the audience. They had the posse that played the music um, and all of that stuff. Now, Back in the day, Johnny Carson apparently thought it was a funny bit, especially since the spoof was aimed at Arsenio as much as the elder statesman. But uh, at least one of the sketches, in Carvey's uh, opinion, was kind of mean. It portrayed Johnny as senile and out of touch, and that's one regret because it wasn't my intent. So Dana Carvey regrets his Johnny Carson impersonation, thought it was a little bit mean at times, especially when they did Carsenio. All right. That is nice. We are back. Boy, do they sound fine. That is my posse, Ed. Yes. Did, did you know that? It's not called a band anymore. It's called a posse. Weird, wild stuff. That it is, sir. Yes. <laughs> a posse. A posse. I did not know that. I did not know that. Now, some of you at home might not understand some of this, some of this lingo, which earlier in the day our staff compiled from the streets. Now, when I said my guests were in my house. What I meant was in the studio. Yes. That is some weird, <laughs> weird, wild stuff. Now, according to this, your actual house is called a crib, but a baby crib is not necessarily called a house. I did not know that. Not a house. <laughs> not a house, no, sir. Not, not a house. A little, it's a little, a little weird, a little, a little skewed. That is the straight stuff, oh, funk master. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, my first guest, my first guest tonight, you all know, he plays Norm on the number one show on television, Cheers. Let's turn it up for Mr. George Wint. Yeah. 
easy. All right, all right. <laughs> sit, okay. sit down, sit down. You are, you are my main man. Are you my main man? <laughs> well, I guess so, Johnny, yeah. <laughs> main man, yes. <laughs> now, uh, cheers, cheers. That, that is one fresh fly show. Well, uh, thank you, Johnny. Now, tell me, George, I, I want to ask this. How often do you do the wild thing? <laughs> Johnny, Johnny, what are you doing here? I mean, are you trying to change your image? Why don't you just stick to what you do best? Well, I like to think what I do best is the wild thing. Is this, is this dope? Is this dope stuff? Look at this. You are correct, sir. Yes. This is dope stuff right here, right now. Come on now. What, George, ow, ow. I'm easy, concerned easy, about George. you. George. I'm concerned about you. What, what, are you, what are you talking well, about? Well, a drastic personality change like this can, you know, really uh, be very dangerous. Dangerous? I, I, I did not know that. <laughs> did, you, did you know that, Ed? Yes. You shouldn't feel embarrassed, Johnny. I mean, this, this is, you know, rather common among people your age. It's okay. Secondary latent personality displacement. Oh, great one. Yes, sir. <laughs> okay, so that's a bit of Carsenio. Now, I think it's funny. I still think it's funny. Um, obviously, Johnny Carson was considered a hero to a lot of people and, you know, perhaps the greatest late-night host of all time. And in retrospect, Dana Carvey felt a little guilty about making it kind of mean and in that episode obviously in that sketch Carcinio where they took Arsenio Hall and combined it with Johnny Carson Carson desperately trying to be hip and young because he was being beaten in the ratings I thought it was a funny sketch he and Robert Smigel wrote it I still think it's funny I don't think there should be any regrets to it Phil Hartman was there obviously playing uh, uh, Ed McMahon unbelievably funny and that was George Went, the real George Went, who uh, was the host that night that took place on season 16, episode 20, May 18th, 1991. It was the season finale of season 16. George Went was your host. Elvis Costello was your musical guest. Okay, next, regrets. I've had a few. Tina Fey regrets um, her response to the Charlottesville um, um, incident uh, that took place. Um, and um, in 2017, the University of Virginia um, alum... Uh, Tina Fey, returned to SNL in the wake of uh, a white nationalist rally in Charlottesville. Uh, Fey's comic take that night, it's better to eat an entire sheet cake than to spend time protesting white nationalism. Uh, to be fair, Tina Fey's intended comic argument was that we shouldn't give our attention to people spreading hate, but the bit didn't come off that way, at least not to some who felt that Tina was arguing against fighting back. Um, I'm on the plane trying to write this thing, she told uh, David Letterman on an episode of My Next, my, my Next Guest Needs No Introduction. And she said, you try your best, you try to have your eyes open, you try to be so mindful, but it's also a fast-moving train. I felt like a gymnast who did a very solid routine and broke her ankle on the landing. It's because literally in the last two or three sentences of the piece that I, could, that I chumped it and I screwed it up. And the implication was that I was telling people to give up and not be active in the fight. And it just... Uh, that was not my intention, obviously. So Tina Fey regrets it. Um, it is a bit that took place not on an actual episode of SNL, but it took place on a Weekend Update Summer Edition uh, special. And the Weekend Update Summer Editions uh, took place on Thursday nights in prime time uh, for a few summers. And this, this one took place on August 17th, 2017. 
Uh, and obviously, it was a weekend update special. It was the weekend update summer edition special. Colin Jost, Michael Che were the were the hosts. They were at the desk, and it was all weekend update guests, weekend update segments done in front of a live audience. And they were special one hour or I'm sorry, half an hour specials that aired during the summertime during the hiatus between seasons of SNL. So this is from Weekend Update Summer Edition, August seventeenth, two thousand seventeen. This is Tina Fey's um, bit, you know, uh, her reaction to what was hap- what happened in Charlottesville. Um, I'll tell you what I thought of it after we listen to it, but here it is, Tina Fey on uh, Weekend Update Summer Edition. And now here to give a more personal take on this week's events in Charlottesville is University of Virginia graduate Tina Fey. I just want to say that I always come out on Colin's side because it's the better half of my face, but I feel like this week it's important to be clear about that. I'm still not buying it. (laughs) Not buying it at all. Now, Tina, you graduated from UVA in 1992. Yes, Colin. It's a beautiful school, and I have nothing but fond memories of my time there. And I graduated a virgin, and I still liked it. And that is just, uh, that's how good the architecture is down there. So it it broke my heart to see these evil forces descend upon Charlottesville and then our president, Donald John Trump, which I don't think people talk enough about what a stupid jackass name that is. It does not flow. Donald John? Whatever, he gets away with it because he's gorgeous. Anyway, anyway, Donnie John comes out and he says uh, that he condemns violence on many sides, on many sides, Colin, and I'm feeling sick because, you know, I've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, and uh, I wasn't confused by it. (laughs) No, Colin, Nazis are always bad. I don't care what you say. Well, I don't say. (laughs) Then then we hear that there's nine more alt-right rallies planned around the country this Saturday, including one in New York City in Washington Square Park. And part of me hopes these neo-Nazis do try it in New York City. Like, I hope they try it and get the ham salad kicked out of them by a bunch of drag queens. Because you know what a drag queen still is? A six foot four black man. (laughs) But but at the same time, I don't want any more good people to get hurt. And I know a lot of us are feeling anxious and we're asking ourselves like, what can I do? I'm just one person, what can I do? And so I would urge people this Saturday, instead of participating in the screaming matches and potential violence, find a local business you support, maybe a Jewish-run bakery or an African-American-run bakery. (laughs) Order a cake with the American flag on it, like this one, and um, just eat it, Colin. (laughs) Wait, I'm sorry, how is that supposed to help? Love is love, Colin. (laughs) Sorry, what? And then next time when you see a bunch of white boys, boys in polo shirts scream about taking our country back, And you want to scream, it's not our country, we stole it from the the Native Americans. We stole it from the Native Americans, and when they have a peaceful protest at Standing Rock, uh, we shoot at them with rubber bullets, but we let you chinless turds march through the streets with semi-automatic weapons. (laughs) And when you want to yell that, don't yell it at the Klan, Colin. Yell it into the cake. 
crawls out of her roach motel and says, oh, Antifa attacked Republicans in Berkeley? And you're like, okay, yard sale Barbie. <laughs> but, the, um, but the other side is Nazis and Klansmen. And also, who drove the car into the crowd? Hillary's emails? <laughs> Well, you know, they've already canceled some of these new rallies. You see, it's working already. <laughs> Sheep caking is a grassroots movement, Colin. <laughs> Most of the women I know have been doing it once a week since the election. <laughs> and don't worry, guys, by the way, don't worry. Some of the people in Charlottesville weren't Klansmen. They were independent militias. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know there's over 250 well-armed militias across the U.S. that are ready to mobilize at any time? No. Yeah. Guess what, Che? They're not cops. No. They're not cops, Che. They're just militias, and they train themselves. Give me some of that damn cake, man. <laughs> in all this, right? You're supposed to be like the cool young congressman, but you don't know how to at somebody on Twitter? Oh. <laughs> racism, racism is bad at real Donald Trump, you pussy. <laughs> and then, then Donnie Johnny says we need to defend our country's beautiful Confederate monuments when you know he would take them down in a second if he thought he could build a bunch of poorly constructed condos on the spot. <laughs> Google, Google Trump Bonwit Teller, okay? And then your family says, oh, you, mom, you need to calm down. And then you start to feel powerless. And that is when you need to dip a grilled cheese into the cake. <laughs> Are you gonna stay till like the whole cake is gone or? In conclusion, <laughs> I really wanna say to encourage all good sane Americans to treat these rallies this weekend like the opening of a thoughtful movie with two female leads. Don't show up. <laughs> Let these morons scream into the empty air. I love you, Charlottesville, and as Thomas Jefferson once said, who's that hot, light-skinned girl over by the butter churn? <laughs> Tina Fey, everyone! So she regrets that uh, now because it was a, a, you know, she says it's a voice of apathy that nobody should get involved. I don't think it's very good. Quite frankly, <laughs> I think she she should regret it because it's not very funny, um, and uh, the jokes aren't very clever, and a lot of it was easy targets, and um, I just don't think it's a strong bit. But at that point, by 2017, you know, Tina Fey became, you know, and 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 with with good reason. But Tina Fey got to the point where Tina Fey could write anything, and people would call it brilliant, and that's not brilliant. It wasn't brilliant. It has nothing to do with regretting, you know, um, not taking action and eating a sheet cake, which was the idea. Um, but a lot of the smart-ass comments she made just weren't very clever. They weren't very funny, but she had a Homer crowd, a whole crowd who loved Tina Fey. She is a genius, and watch her be political and say all these great things and these really smart things, but it's just not very clever. It's just not very smart. It's just not good satire. It's just her slinging out insults and stuffing her face with a cake. And I don't think the... The, the reason she regrets it is because it wasn't clever. I think she regrets it because she thinks that it's about eating sheet cake and not doing anything 
to protest or stop these horrible activities that were happening. I just think it's lazy writing, and she should feel embarrassed about that, not that she ate a cake. Anyway, but Tina Fey regrets uh, the sheet cake incident on Weekend Update Summer Edition in August of 2017. All right, let's move on. Another regret Fred Armisen has won. Uh, Fred Armisen would do an impersonation of blind New York governor David Patterson, and he did it uh, eight, nine times on the show. Uh, On multiple Weekend Update appearances, Fred Armisen got laughs from his bumbling portrayal of blind New York governor David Patterson. A fair target for comedy, except Armisen made Patterson's disability the butt of many jokes, with the sightless governor unable to find his place behind the update desk, mistaking 30 Rock for Yankee Stadium, and cluelessly walking around the set when he wasn't uh, doing the vocal part of his bit. Uh, Patterson was a really good sport about it all, even appearing on SNL himself in rebuttal, but he warned that not everyone in his position had the ability to fight back, calling jokes about the disabled, quote-unquote, um, sophomoric and stupid. Armisen and, and Seth Myers, who co-wrote the uh, bit and also was the anchor of uh, Update when he did them, later apologized and promised that they would be more respectful of the disabled. Uh, now, now, really, you know, yes, this was kind of a funny bit. I can see why um, there is regrets about him. There were a few jokes that were wincing. And yes, it got a little tiresome around the fifth or sixth appearance that Armisen made where they would do seven to nine blind jokes or bumping or wandering around because he's blind uh, jokes. Uh, but I think the real target here of almost all of this was always New Jersey. That was, that was my thing. I think other than making a few blind jokes that could be considered tasteless, but again, Patterson didn't think they were tasteless. He came on once to do a rebuttal saying that, you know, not everybody is in a position to, uh, to, to rebut these jokes. So that's what he did. And they put him on the air. They were, you know, they did, they did the rebuttal and he was very humorful about it. He really was. Um, but I think that, uh, the, the target of most of these jokes was not necessarily the blind jokes. We're not, we're a little bit tasteless, of course, but the real butt of these, uh, be, of these appearances always was New Jersey. Um, I personally thought Fred Armisen's appearances at David Patterson were very funny. Did the blind jokes go too far? Did they do too many of them? Yes. But Patterson came on, had his rebuttal, made his statement, and then Armisen and Myers said, okay, we apologize for what we did. And here's a little example of Fred Armisen. You have to picture him as David Patterson. He's squinting in one eye, and there are some blind visual jokes in this. But here's an example of one of the many appearances that Fred Armisen made as blind New York Governor David Patterson. This is from Season 34, Episode 14, January 31st, 2009. Your host was Steve Martin. Your musical guest was Jason Mraz. But this is Fred Armisen on Weekend Update, which is uh, anchored by Seth Meyers, doing Patterson. This week, with New York State on the brink of financial collapse, New York Governor David Patterson broke from tradition and delivered an angry State of the State address condemning corrupt lawmakers in Albany. Here to comment is the Governor, David Patterson. I'm just kidding. Well, um, that that may be, but um, you certainly weren't kidding around at your State of the State address where you actually attacked lawmakers and lobbyists who were present at the speech. I talked about someone without realizing they were in the room? 
Classic Patterson. <laughs> Look, Seth, I'm never gonna be popular in Albany. You know how I find my way there? I follow the sound of booing. <laughs> whenever I hear boos, I know I'm in Albany. And whenever I smell cheap cologne and raccoons, I know I'm in New Jersey. <laughs> okay, okay, Governor. Try to stay on point here. Have you seen that show, The Jersey Shore? Oh my God, I have nightmares about those people. Governor, Jersey Shore doesn't represent everyone in New Jersey. I realize that, Seth. The people on that show are the cream of the crop. <laughs> That's their best and brightest. I mean, the Jersey Shore is their McLaughlin group. Uh, <laughs> you may... You may want to take a warning from New Jersey governor, because they just voted their governor out this fall. Oh, that's right. They elected a new governor, which is like the junkyard hiring a new night watchman. <laughs> All right, governor, please. please. No. All right, it's okay. Let's just get back to your speech. You said yes. the governors should be judged by what they propose, not what they pass. That's right. Judge me by what I say, not what I do. Other things to not judge me by, my record my leadership skills, and my free throw percentage. Right. <laughs> well, now, speaking of sports, you must be proud of the New York Jets. They won tonight. Oh, come on. Everyone knows they may be called the New York Jets, but they play in New Jersey. That's like when a stripper calls herself chastity. <laughs> Thank so, you. Yeah. So, Governor, what's your plan now? I'm just going to try to hold on until 2012. Well, there's no election in 2012. Well, not for an election, Seth. 2012 is when the Mayans say the world will end. No more troubles for David Patterson. Everything will be reduced to rubble and flaming piles of garbage. Or as I like to call it... Where am I? Yeah, it's right there. You got it. New Jersey! <laughs> David Patterson, everyone! Can we get up there? Well, Fred Armisen, uh, Fred Armisen uh, regrets that now. Um, you know, uh, disability jokes are not funny, um, even though uh, David Patterson didn't find it uh, offensive and appeared on the show. And but then let everybody know, yes, he was in a position of power. He was in a position where he could speak for the disabled people who can't speak for themselves when they are mocked. So, uh, ultimately, though, Seth Meyers, Fred Armisen uh, made an apology, and uh, and there you go. So that's Fred Armisen uh, doing his imitation of the, of the blind governor of New York. Um, so there you go. All right. Next, our fourth regret of the five um, is Seth Rogen. Regrets? I've had a few. Seth Rogen regrets a James Franco joke that he made, even though uh, James Franco, uh, you know, um, has been accused and proven to have been a little uh, questionable in his activities and questionable in his choices. Uh, and yeah. Well, in 2014, 35-year-old Franco, James Franco, admitted that he was exchanging messages with a 17-year-old girl with the intention of hooking up in a hotel room. Franco later claimed ignorance of who was receiving his messages and promised never to do it again. That's the subject of another story, as are many other stories and claims and reports from people who have worked with Franco and from the people that enabled Franco's, uh, you know, um, behavior one of which being Seth Rogen. Uh, and now, you know, everybody looks at James Franco differently, and they should. His behavior, the things that he's done with underage women, and some of the things that he's been accused of, and some of them proven, 
has led us uh, to look at James Franco justifiably in a completely different light. And at the time, uh, in 2014, uh, James Franco's Freaks and Geeks co-star and co-star of several of the Apatow-related and Seth Rogen and Goldberg-related movies, James or Seth Rogen hosted Saturday Night Live for his monologue. Ro- Rogen, uh, uh, Seth Rogen read from entries from his journal, his fake journal, and one of them was a little cringy, and it involved James Franco. Uh, the joke that was used in what you are about to hear, which is as uh, Seth Rogen's monologue, the joke prompted a slap from Rogan's knocked-up pal Charlene Yee, who accused Seth Rogen of enabling Franco's disturbing behavior, and Rogan couldn't disagree. He's no longer working with James Franco at all. They've cut ties. And he had to say this about his monologue choice, about the joke in the monologue on SNL that night. I do look back at that joke that I made on Saturday Night Live in 2014, and I very much regret making that joke. It was a terrible, terrible joke. Honestly, I regret it. Well, I'm going to play back that monologue, and you will hear the setup of the monologue is that Seth Rogen is out. Uh, He's hosted a couple of times, and he was very, very young and very, very nervous. And so he decided that he was going to keep a journal of what was happening during the week on SNL and tell everybody about it because he didn't want to forget. So this took place season 39, episode 18. It was April 12th, 2014. Seth Rogen again was your host. Ed Sheeran was your musical guest. During the monologue, um, uh, he makes reference to his family. His sister comes out, and his sister is played by the great Noel Wells, who uh, it was a terrific, by the way, a terrific cast member who only spent one season on SNL and uh, talked a little bit about her on a, past, uh, on a past episode. A really underrated, underutilized, very, very terrific actress who went on to do other great things. But Noel Wells came out, as you'll hear, as his sister, and then Bobby Moynihan and Kate McKinnon played his family sitting in the audience. And then there were a couple of cameos made by some stars. Zoe Deschanel shows up, you'll hear at one point. James Franco, the aforementioned James Franco, he comes out as well. And so does, oh my God, Taylor Swift. This was nine years ago when, you know, Swifties were still Swifties, but they weren't quite as insane as they are now. And the complete obsession with Taylor Swift, which, by the way, in all honesty for me, is absolutely mind-boggling and I don't get it. But anyway, Taylor Swift, Zoe Deschanel, James Franco make cameos. And in the ske- in, in, during the monologue, you'll hear Noel Wells, Bobby Moynihan, Kate McKinnon. All that happens. And the regret is Seth Rogen's James Franco joke during his monologue. He's made apologies for it. And, uh, and again, this is regret number four, Seth Rogen's monologue from April 12, 2014 been a dream of mine my whole life so I was so completely overwhelmed when it actually happened I retained very little of it the whole thing was such a blur Uh, so this time I decided to keep a journal and write down all the major events so I would never forget this week and I'd like to read you guys uh, a few pages of it okay so my week at SNL here we go Monday 5 p.m. meeting with all the writers So many new people. This is great. Just got pitched about 50 ideas about weed. (laughs) Fortunately, we can only do around 10 of them, but they're great. 7.30 p.m. Just found out my parents can't make it to the show. Just my sister, Beth. Hey, big brother. Hey, Beth Rogan, everybody. Great. (laughs) (laughs) It's not just me. Mom and dad are here, too. Oh, they made it! (laughs) We are so proud. (laughs) Okay, we get it. Great. Okay, thank you. 
Back to the journal. Where was I? Um, Tuesday, writing night. Now, this is when the majority of the writing for the week actually happens. 4.19 a.m., drawing a blank. Can't think of any ideas. This is hard. Smell something funky coming from one of the writer's offices. Decide to investigate. 4.21 a.m., suddenly I have so many ideas. <laughs> I don't remember writing any of this stuff. Looks like I wrote the word pizza 400 times. Then it's just a bunch of doodles of the Wu-Tang W. Bunch of doodles, okay. Wednesday, 3 p.m., they read all the sketches out loud. I didn't feel like I did great. So, to make myself feel better, I decided to prank James Franco. I posed as a girl on Instagram. <laughs> told him I was way young. He seemed unfazed. I have a date to meet him at the Ace Hotel. Okay, Wednesday, 6.15. Jay Farrow keeps asking if I want to watch him eat worms. I think he might think I'm Joe Rogan from Fear Factor. But I'm totally cool with that. Okay, Friday morning, they seem concerned. They offer to have Zoe Deschanel come on. I tell them I don't want help from any friends. for clapping because it is, it's hard to turn down a cameo, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Okay, where was I? Hey, buddy. Hey, dude. I literally, I just said that I didn't want any cameos. No, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not a cameo. I, hey, hey, folks, how, how do I look? Do I... Look fantastic, dude. Yeah, I just wanted to say, great prank, buddy. I've been waiting at the Ace Hotel for like three days. Okay, well, okay, we'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Okay, well, bye, everybody. Okay, where was I? Saturday night. About to go out and do the monologue. Oh, man, I can't read any of this stuff. Uh, okay. Hey, Seth. You need any help? No, no, I got this, I got this. Are you sure? <laughs> yes, I'm totally sure. I'm totally sure, okay? I'm fine. Go with your bro. No, I don't want any help, guys. I'm fine. I told you that, okay? I need no... He says he doesn't need any help. God, Taylor Swift, come on! Whenever a man shows emotion, I appear. Well, you know what? I'm glad you guys are here because we have a great show for you tonight. Ed Sheeran is here. So stick around with your right back. So that's the uh, that's the that's the monologue right there, and uh, Seth Rogen uh, regrets <laughs> the James Franco jokes, even though James Franco showed up and actually participated in the joke himself, which later would make every James Franco fan regret being a James Franco fan and be a little uncomfortable during that joke and that monologue and Franco's participation. Always interesting to see Taylor Swift show up and, uh, and, and the world does not shut down. Interesting. All right. Our final regret is um, a Bill Hader regret. And it involves Stefan, one of his uh, most classic characters. Stefan was like the nightlife reporter 
the cultural guru, uh, the very gay, very flamboyant, very specific nightlife correspondent for Weekend Update who had a crush on Seth Meyers and they ended up getting married. Um, one of everyone's favorite Bill Hader recurring characters of all time. And the regret that Bill Hader has is that he made a lot of midget references. And obviously the word midget is considered an insult and, um, uh, uh, um, you know, an and, and a term that should not be used to describe little people or to describe dwarfs in any situation. Midget is an insulting word that um, has been taken out of the vocabulary for, you know, for good reason. Uh, but, you know, Stefan was using it for many, many, uh, for many appearances on Weekend Update and during uh, and for many years. Um, and he regrets it. Uh, Bill Hader regrets a lot of comedy. He says, I've talked a lot of to comedy people and I look back at things that I did myself included where you go, oh man, I would never do that now. And one example was Stefan's constant references to midgets. Uh, Bill Hader's embarrassment doesn't stop there. Uh, he says also, anytime I played different ethnicities, he said, uh, by virtue of being in a sketch show, we had to do that. But I remember playing Chinese people and uh, I was just like, man, I can't believe I'm doing this. And you look back and you're upset about doing it. So the midget jokes that uh, Stefan told, and there were several, included, um, hey, human fire hydrants. Seth says, what are human fire hydrants? You know, it's that thing when high-waisted midgets have red pants and a big ass. Um, and then there was a party filled with human bath mats. What is a human bath mat? Seth says. Stefan said, it's that thing when you have, when like midgets have dreadlocks and lay face down on the floor. That's a human bath mat. What uh, about a human parking cone? Uh, well, a human parking cone, it's that thing when two jacked midgets paint themselves orange and you have to parallel park between them. There is, what about a human suitcase? Well, what's a human suitcase? It's that thing when a midget on roller skates wears all of your clothes and then pull, you pull them through the airport. And then, um, what about flying a human kite? What's a human kite? That's when, it's that thing when you tie a string to a midget in a windbreaker and run through a field. Um, and it goes on. There were a whole bunch more of the midget jokes, and uh, Bill Hader regrets them, even though they are very, very funny. And, of course, over the years, many little people and many dwarves have been interviewed about that, and they say, yeah, the jokes are funny. The images are funny. It's Stefan. He's a weirdo. He talks about really unusual, insane, surrealistic nightlife in New York. So a lot of the little people in the world weren't necessarily offended by those jokes. They hate the term. And so, in 2017, when Stefan returned, okay, this was season 43, episode 16, Bill Hader came back. He was the host. He came back, not as a cast member, but he was the big star now, and he came back and hosted. He was the host. Arcade Fire was the musical guest. It took place on March 17th, 2018. It was the St. Patrick's Day episode of season 43. So, Stefan made a return appearance. This time, Colin Jost and Michael Che, you know, uh, were the anchors, not his husband and love of his life, Seth Meyers, which was a running gag for every Stefan appearance. This time, Jost and Che were, uh, were there. They were anchoring. And Bill Hader, of course, comes back. He hosts. And, of course, when he hosts, he has to do Stefan, which is one of everybody's very, very favorite Bill Hader creations and characters, a much beloved character, despite the fact 
that he did use the term midget many, many times. Well, he came back for another appearance, uh, and he made his return, and uh, the whole little people midget thing came up, and this is how they handled it, and this is uh, the whole appearance. It's absolutely hilarious. This is Bill Hader's, as host, his triumphant return, Estefan, on uh, Weekend Update. And, by the way, John Mulaney, who has hosted the show several times, who is a stand-up comedian, who has done Broadway shows, who is also a writer and spent a significant amount of time as a writer and head writer on SNL, who wrote with Bill Hader all of the Stefan monologues. So all of the Stefan bits that were done on Weekend Update, John Mulaney wrote them. And all the times that Bill Hader would laugh on screen, both as Stefan and as Bill Hader, it was because John Mulaney would write jokes at the last minute and put them on the teleprompter and on the cue cards, and Bill Hader would read them for the very first time. Never in rehearsal, never in dress, but live on air, John Mulaney would write new jokes that Bill Hader was reading for the very first time, which is why, as Stefan, Bill Hader broke all the time. John Mulaney, who co-created the character and wrote all the monologues that Stefan did on Update, he would swap out jokes and change them in an effort to break Bill Hader, and he did it every time. So the midget controversy and the midget references that we're talking about, the ones that Bill Hader really regrets, made apologies for, that's talked a lot about in Stefan's return in 2018. Means millions of tourists have come to the Big Apple. Here with some tips for what they could check out is our weekend update city correspondent, Stefan! Thank you, thank you so much for joining us, Stefan. Connor, Percy, it's nice to be here. Okay. Thank you, Stefan. So, so the parade is now over. I bet a lot of people are out there looking for a great New York hangout. Do you have any recommendations? Yes. If you're drunk in Midtown, doing cheap coke off your laundry card, I have just the place for you. New York's hottest club is Gersh. Inspired by true events. This, this former CVS, which became a Chase Bank and then became a CVS again, has a familiar yet troubling feel, like when Larry King would play himself in a movie. <laughs> this place has everything. Death sets, key fobs, kale chips, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Plus, you can play everyone's favorite party game, The Stranger. Now, what's The Stranger? Do you know that Billy Joel song, The Stranger? Yeah. Well, it's when you sit on Billy Joel's hand until it's numb, and then you rub yourself with it. Wait. Wait, why, why does it have to be numb? so you can pretend it's Bruce Springsteen's hand. Okay. <laughs> All right, so, so let's get back on track, okay? I think, I think a lot of people are in town for St. Patrick's Day, and they might be looking for something a little different, you know? Yeah, something more Irish-themed. Yes, 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 yes. 
<laughs> Moonlight, La La Land. <laughs> <both right. laughs> if, if you're Irish or just white and violent, <laughs> I have the St. Patty's place for you. New York's hottest Irish club is off to church, mother. Located in the clogged heart of the Bronx at the corner of 3000th Street and Gary Marshall Memorial Drive, this gang-ridden skateboard park was the ceremony spot for Vern Troyer's 2004 wedding. <laughs> this place has everything. Peeps, TED Talks, Roman J. Israel Esquire. <laughs> And be sure to hit the dance floor and do a jig with Ireland's hottest Farrakhans. Wait, Louis Farrakhan is at this club? No, Farrakhans, leprechauns that look like Farrah Fawcett. <laughs> but also, yes, Minister Farrakhan will be there. <laughs> All right, Stefan. Please, call me by your name. Fine, Colin, just give us that one place. Tell us that one place that ordinary tourists might enjoy, please. Yes, 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 yes. If you're ordinary and you love seizure-inducing Malaysian music, <laughs> I have just a place for you. New York's hottest club is Stand Clear of the Closing Doors, Please. <laughs> Built in the upside-down world, this haunted hospice was closed when inspectors found a sexy form of asbestos that could cause disease. Now, what disease do you get from sexy asbestos? Misohornioma. Oh. <laughs> this place has everything. Young popes, old popes, Roman J. Israel <laughs> But avoid the dance floor on Wednesdays when, dozen, when a dozen hot dachshunds and corgis get in free. They call it long and low nights. <laughs> I don't trust any dog whose stomach touches the ground. <laughs> Plus, you can party in the VIP room with a group of human squatty potties. Uh, what is a human squatty potty? It's that thing of, you know what, it's a new era, and I don't want to say a word that could be insensitive. May I consult my lawyer quickly? Sure, yeah. Great. He's an attorney and a conceptual piss artist <laughs> named Shy. Shy? Hi. Hi, Shy. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> Shy, do people still use the word? Human squatty potties. It's that thing of when you sit on the toilet and to have good posture, two little people <laughs> crouch on the bathroom floor and you put your feet on their heads. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm really glad you made sure to make that not insensitive. Thank you very much. That's great. Look, let's take a closer look at political correctness. Wait, isn't a closer look Seth's thing? Oh, Seth and I are versatile. Some nights I do it and he's under the desk. <laughs> it's Stefan, everyone. Twenty twenty. So there you go, in a very funny way, um, Bill Hader and John Mulaney, by the way, who played his lawyer, Shy, who was also a conceptual piss artist, <laughs> who was dressed in full leather and uh, S&M kind of bondage, um, comes out and to whispers to him to say little people instead. Uh, I wanted to play that full thing because every single uh, Stefan appearance on Weekend Update is funny, all of them, uh, all co-written by uh, John Mulaney and... Uh, and Bill Hader, and again, the Roman, uh, Roman uh, J, uh, uh, whatever his name is, Esquire, um, <laughs> was a repeated joke that Bill Hader didn't know was happening, and a few jokes on there didn't know he's happening until he reads them live. So there you go. So, uh, but Bill Hader uh, and uh, and and John Mulaney both uh, apologized and actually uh, talked about it in that sketch. So they regretted it. So those were five regrets. I've had a few. Dana Carvey's Johnny Carson, Tina Fey's Charlottesville sheet cake uh, bit, Fred Armisen's impression of New York Governor David Patterson, Seth Rogen's James Franco monologue joke, and Bill Hader's use of the word midgets during his Stefan appearances. So there you go. There, ha- there are more. There are more bits that are considered insulting and considered inappropriate now or, uh, or something that people regret. And I will do another episode of this on part two of Regrets. I've had a few. But those are five of them. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions for SNL topics that you would like to hear on this podcast or some of the ones that you think should be regretted, some of the performances, some of the things that didn't age well, some of the things that might be offensive, which ones didn't I include that I might include in a further episode? Leave your voicemails 24-7 anytime you want. 773-417-6948. Leave your voicemails there. Send me an email, nickdpodcast at gmail.com. I want to thank you for listening. It's always a blast. Uh, always a great time. Looking forward to more SNL uh, uh, you know, uh, t- cod pa- podcasts coming up here on That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. And I'd love to hear from you, so please let us know. If you would like to advertise on this podcast or sponsor us, all you got to do is write to uh, sales at radiomisfits.com. We'd love to have you on. Ed Silla is the guy that puts it all together. He's the guy there that, uh, that takes care of all the technical stuff. He's the guy that runs Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Rate and review us and share all that stuff on every platform. Jason Skaggs is my man. He did the opening theme. He composed and performed that. He composed and performed this the closing theme on That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years. It's a great theme. It's good nights, just like on the show. So thanks for checking out That Show Hasn't Been Funny in Years, an SNL podcast. Regrets I've had a few. It's episode 48, episode 49 coming on next Wednesday. Thanks to everybody. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Good night and have a pleasant tomorrow.